Welcome to the Burn Hickory Podcast, where you can listen to our sermons each week. Our mission is to reach everyone around us with the hope of Christ. And our goal is that you'll find a place where you can learn, grow, live, and thrive in a faith family. Now let's get ready to dig into Scripture and see what God has for us today. Well, that was good. Amen. We about got a little Baptocostal in here, um, but that is okay. Man, it is so, so refreshing uh, just to be in the presence of the Lord. Hey, last week and the week before and the week before, we've been walking in a series that we have just named We Are. We are, where what we're doing is we're looking at some of the foundational truths, or I guess you could say some of the bedrock moments or ideas of who we are in Christ, individually and as a body. We started this whole series off with looking at a logical point of just looking at our identity in the Lord, that we are heirs to the throne, that we are sons and daughters of the King, and with that comes incredible joy. It comes incredible moments of eternity as well as knowing that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Week two, we went from individual to corporate and we looked at the fact that we are a body of believers and we're the called out church. We're the ecclesia, we said. We're the body that represents Jesus as his bride on this planet. And we said that every believer should be a part of a local congregation that is reaching their community in the world. Last week, we looked at we are built for relationships. And in the morning, we looked at just the power of our words. And our man, our toes were stepped on a little bit last Sunday morning. And then Sunday night, last week, over 400 of you came back to where we celebrated marriage. We looked at what marriage looked like in our life. And the one point that just stuck out over all the other points last week is that marriage is about we and not me. It's about we and what we are doing to glorify God. Well, this week we're continuing our series that we're calling We Are. And this week we're going to look at what the Bible would say is the primary, okay? The primary, the foundation, or the number one thing that all believers should do, should live. Now, I know when I say that. I know when I say, what is the main idea? What is the one thing? I know that carries with it a whole lot of tension. It carries a whole lot of tension because we're all individuals. We all have different felt passions. We all have different callings. We all have different things in our lives that cause us to walk in different directions. Case in point, if I were to say, what is the biggest thing the Bible has asked you to do? Some of you would answer me and just say, well, Matt, God wants us to love. To which I would say, okay, yes, he does want us to love. I mean, after all, that is the great commandment, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. To which I would say, okay, that is a great goal. For some of us, I was just, would, would answer not really to love, but well, my best goal or my number one goal is just to be a good person. Man, if I can just be a good person that other people will see Jesus, to which I would say, Okay, that is a good goal. I mean, after all, the golden rule, right? Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. It's golden for a reason, right? It is pure for a reason. That is a good goal, but it's not the best goal. For some of us, if I were to say, what is the main goal? You would say, my main goal is to advocate for the less fortunate. 
And there's a lot of you out there to which I would say, well, kudos, yes, that is a good goal. That is a godly goal. For some of you, you, you wouldn't say it, but if I was to say, what is your main goal? You would pretty much say, well, my main goal is to be a prophet and point to the wrong of everybody else that's out there, to which I would say, some of you are doing a really good job at that, but it's not the main goal, right? It's not the main goal. In fact, some of you would say, well, the main goal is for me to be the social media police and to comment on everybody's stuff that's out there, to which I would say, not a great goal, all right? It's just not. Some of you would kind of play the theology card, right, and go, well, the main goal is to be a good Bible student, to which I would say, that's a great goal, but it's probably not the main goal. Some of you would play the ultimate trump card, the atomic bomb of all Christendom, and say, well, the ultimate goal of Christians is to glorify God, to which I would go, yes, but you can only play that card so many times, right? But you got to really flesh out what that really means, because that can mean a lot of things to a lot of people. You see, most of those things, there's a couple of them that aren't great. Most of those things are good things. Most of those things, you will find commands of those things in the Bible that we should be, that we should live. Most of those things are even godly things that God has caused us to live. The hard part is, is when you take this collection of books, this collection of letters, this ancient living document in your hand, there is so much there that is good and that is rich. The problem for most of us comes that we have never been told primarily what is the chief goal, what is the main idea as a believer in Jesus. In other words, what's the main game plan? Well, here's the good news. The good news is, is that Jesus tells us. The good news is, is that Jesus is really clear when he tells us, and then the New Testament describes to us how, in an incredibly masterful way, that we can live out the main idea of who I am, who we are. If you got a copy of scripture this morning, I want you to go with me to the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew. And we're gonna be in the 28th chapter of the gospel of Matthew. And we're gonna see this morning an incredible grid that Jesus lays out for us, that Jesus describes what it looks like to be a true disciple what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus, because that is the ultimate goal. Now, let me catch you up as you're finding it, what's going on in the book of Matthew. We're super late in the gospel of Matthew. At this point, Jesus has lived a sinless life. He has become the sacrifice for your sin and my sin and the sin of all mankind. He has been put onto the cross. He has died the death that we deserved and he has gone to the grave, but he didn't stay in the grave. Although he went there on Friday, he rose on Sunday and now Jesus, is alive. Well, we're going to pick up this account. He's alive. He has shown himself to the Marys. We will see that in just a minute. The religious leaders are peeved. They're coming up with a bunch of lies on how to cover it up. And we're about to jump into the only, catch this, the only pre-planned meeting that Jesus sets for the agenda of his disciples. Now, let me tell you what that really means. That means this, the rest of the events that the disciples end up with Jesus in the 40 days that he's on this earth, the rest of the events, according to scripture, now there may have been more, but we don't know, 
the rest of the events were kind of impromptu moments where Jesus just shows up. I mean, go with me for a minute. They're walking down the road to Emmaus and what happens? Jesus just shows up, right? They are fishing on the water and Jesus, what does he do? He makes a little campfire. He starts to cook some fish and he yells out to him, hey, come on over here after you catch the rest of those fish, right? That wasn't pre-planned. The disciples are in the upper room. They're having a little meeting. They're a little bit scared. They don't really know everything that's happening. And all of a sudden, what happens? Jesus, through the door, just shows up. But at this moment, I just want you to feel the weight of this moment. This moment, Jesus pre-schedules a meeting with his boys. He pre-schedules a meeting with his disciple. And you have to know that if Jesus went through the problems and the pre-planning of pre-scheduling something with his people, that something big is about to go down. What big is about to go down is he's about to give us the chief goal of what it looks like to be a disciple. He's about to show us the main idea and he's about to teach us right here in these five verses what our role chief primarily is. Go with me, Matthew 28, verse 16. I'm gonna read it all, then we're just gonna let Jesus teach us as we walk through it slowly after I read it all. Here it goes. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, all authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And surely I am with you, Jesus says, to the very end of the age. Now, Pay attention here because here's what I know what happens in this verses. It is so easy if you're like me and you grew up in church. It is so easy if you've been teaching the Bible for a long time. It is so easy if you've been looking at this verse, some of you for 20 years, some of you for 40 years, some of you for 60 years, to press the pause button right here and not listen to what Jesus is saying. It is, and here's what I know. There's a lot of you in here that you have memorized this verse. There's a lot of you in here that have taught this verse. There's a lot of you, you've been reading this verse your whole life, and it is real easy to press the pause button, but I'm gonna beg you to stay with me. Stay with me because there's some gold here that these five verses show us our ultimate calling of what we should live. In fact, it starts off in verse 16. Now, verse 16 is not normally where one would start in teaching this text. Normally, everyone fast forwards down to verse 19 to get to the Great Commission. It's just where we start. But something happens in verse 16 that sets up the rest of this text that I don't think we can just kind of wash over. And what happens in verse 16 is there is a warning or there is a foundational moment that begins the process of what it looks like to live for Jesus and what a true disciple really looks like. In fact, look at the first four words in verse 16. It says this. It says, then the 11 disciples. Now pause there. Say, man, that is a crazy place to pause. No, it's not. Because I want you to see the warning here. The warning or what Matthew is pointing out in his gospel through the Holy Spirit is that there is now only 11 true disciples. So Matt, what difference does that make? It makes a really big difference, why? Because up until this point, everybody on this planet thought there were 12. 
Everyone on this planet thought that there was 12 of these guys that hung out together, that listened to Jesus, that loved Jesus, that followed Jesus, that would give their life to Jesus. But what we're seeing here is that among the true disciples, there was a false, not true disciple named Judas. Named Judas. Now stay with me for just a minute because Judas was with them every step of the way. Judas knew every worship song of the day. Judas passed the master class of Jesus' discipleship program for three years. Judas shared every meal with him. Judas looked like him. He smelled like him. He talked like him. Judas was so into the image of being a disciple, they did not even know at the table at the Last Supper that he, the guy they'd been living with for the last three years, was the one that was going to betray Jesus. Do you feel where this is going? Where this is going is, is all while looking like a true disciple and smelling like a true disciple, he was not a true disciple. He wasn't. Listen, that may sound harsh, but there's a part of that warning that should bring considerable question to all of our minds, and it's this. Am I a real disciple of Jesus? Am I a real follower of Jesus? Or am I just looking like it, smelling like it, and hanging out with a bunch of them? because that's the point that Matthew is setting up here. Am I actually a follower of Jesus? Do I actually desire to make Jesus the Lord of my life? That's the question, Matt, I don't know. How do I know if Jesus is my Lord? Well, I'm glad you asked. The short answer to that is this. Have you given your life to Jesus and invite him into your life to become your savior and Lord and has there been fruit? That's the short answer. The long answer to that question, how do I know if I'm a true disciple, is that you should evaluate yourself through everything else that Jesus is about to say in this text. Because Jesus is about to give us a grid right here of what it looks like to be a true disciple of Jesus. That's our chief goal. Let me give them to you by walking through the text. Number one, true disciples. Here's the first one for the grid for all of us. Hear and obey the word of God. True disciples, they hear and they obey the word of God. Now notice there are two actions in that statement. There is the action of hearing and there is the action of obeying. Most of us, I'll say most, not all, most of us have no problem with the mechanism of hearing, amen? Now some of you are like, no, I went to Costco yesterday and I got discount hearing aids. That's not what I'm talking about, okay? Most of us have no problem with the mechanism of hearing. The problem we have is what do we do with the information that we do hear? How do we assimilate that information? That's what we're pointing at. You see, we can hear, although it may be selective in some of us, we can hear most of the time. One of my favorite parent lines ever that I swore I would never say that I've said, you know what I'm talking about when you do that? You're like, I'll never say that. And then you're like, I just said it. Is this, do you hear me? Have you ever said that to your kid? Yeah, you said that to your kid. To which of course they heard you. I mean, they got great hearing. They just didn't want to do what you told them to do. I've caught myself saying that so many times. Did you hear me? And they're like, well, yeah, I just don't like you. You know, I just don't want to do it right now. That's how Jesus feels, I feel like sometimes. Did you hear me? And he's like, I'm God, right? Yes, I know, you heard me. The problem is we don't live it. You see, true disciples, they hear and they obey. Look at verse 16. I'm not making this stuff. I'm just walking you through what Jesus said. Watch this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, watch this, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. 
You see that? Isn't that cool? They went to the place that Jesus had already told them to go. In other words, what are they doing? It doesn't get much clearer than this. What do I do as disciple? I hear Jesus. I act on what Jesus said. You see, in, verse, in chapter 28, what we've already skipped is that Jesus had sent these guys a message earlier as to what to do, as to how to follow him, as to what is next on the plan. In fact, let me read it to you. Some of you, you this is the Easter passage and you'll get it again there. Watch this in verse 28. It says this. Watch what Jesus does, it's awesome. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and he sat on it. His appearance was like lightning. His clothes were white as snow. I love verse four, it's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. I mean, they Benny Hinn fell over right there. Verse five. The angels, some of you old people got that and the rest of you didn't, all right? The angel said to the woman, do not be afraid for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. Verse six, he is not here, he has risen. Just as he said, come and see the place where he lay. Watch verse seven, watch what happens right here. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and he is going ahead of you into Galilee then you will see him. Now I've told you, now watch verse eight, it gets even better. So the woman hurried away from the tomb yet filled with joy and ran to tell his disciples, verse nine, suddenly Jesus met them with, greet, with this, greetings. I, he probably said more than that, it's a little understated, all right? Greetings, he said. They came to him and they grasped his feet and they worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Watch this, go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee where they will see me. Watch what happens here. Two times there is a message for them to hear and to act, to hear and to go. The angel gave a message to, to the ladies, Mary and Mary. Jesus gave a message to Mary and Mary. And what did they do? They brought this message to the disciples and there was no question what the disciples did, right? Why? Because true disciples, they hear and they obey. They hear the word of God, they obey the word of God. They hear the message of God, they obey the word of God. Well, Matt, I get that, Matt, but, but Jesus isn't directly talking to me. Oh yeah? What's the book that we hold in our hands? Either we believe it's the word of God or that we don't. Either we believe it is the inspired, inerrant, eternal, living word of God, or we don't. Listen to this, Luke eleven twenty eight 28 says, blessed are those who hear the word of God and obey it. John 10 says this, starting in verse 27, it says, my voice, listen, my sheep listen to my voice and I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one can snatch them from my hand. John 14, 21 says, he who has my commands and keeps them, it is he who loves me. Here, here's the question that all this revolves around. Would it be noted of your life that you are a person that hears the word of God and follows the word of God? If someone were to follow you around for a couple days, would that be on the top of the chart of this is Matt Petty? He hears the word, he acts on the word. He hears the word, he acts on the word. Listen, I'm, I'm really not sure that many of us truly believe that one day we will have to stand in front of a holy God and give an account for not hearing and obeying. I'm just not sure that we believe it for some reason. But it's clear that the whole Bible clearly says, hear my word 
act on my word and I will bless you. I will bless you more than any of that temporary stuff that the world says that you should turn to. True disciples hear and obey the word of God. But watch this, number two, true disciples worship God with their life and their priorities. True disciples, they don't just hear and obey. True disciples worship God with their life and their priorities. Now, we've spent significant time over the last months talking about what worship is. And we've just said over and over again that worship is more than a 30-minute music set one hour a week prior to me getting up here and ranting for a little while. That is more than that. Worship is an awed response when we are in the presence of something that is bigger than us. That's what worship is in its purest sense. And listen to this, the level of our worship is directly determined by the value that we put on something or the level of experience that we have had with it. That's the two things that direct our worship. The two things that direct is what is that worth to me and how much value do I associate it? Let me bring it into the biblical life of the disciples. The disciples, as soon as they saw Jesus, what was their immediate response when they were in the presence of Jesus? Look at verse 17. When they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And the last three words says, but some doubted. We can debate the some doubted over coffee. There's a whole lot to that comment. It could mean that there's a lot, there was a lot of other people with the disciples at this moment and the per, some of the peripheral doubted. That's the camp that I'm in. But we can disagree on that and still love each other, all right? The point is, is that when you truly see and experience Jesus, you worship him. You worship him, Why? because worship is a response that is hardwired into us. Do you know that nobody had to teach you how to worship? Nobody taught you that. Nobody taught you last night to rise up out of your seat and chop, right? Nobody taught you that. <laughs> nobody taught you to be giddy on Saturdays during college football. Nobody taught you that. It's hardwired into us to give things worth to raise things up. I remember in 2010, we went on a mission trip with this church to Australia. Now, when I say Australia, yeah, we visited Sydney, but we spent the rest of our time, when they say there's an outback of Australia, there's an outback of Australia. There is a middle of nowhere, and then there is a Australia middle of nowhere. We bust six hours into a field. I mean, basically is what it was. And we ended up in this little town with about seven buildings that we stayed at and did ministry in that region at. Well, one night they wanted to bless us and they wanted us to take us to one of their members' farms farther into the wilderness, into the backside of the wilderness, as Jesus would say at this point. And so they bust us another three hours to this guy's farm. I mean, and it is in the middle of nowhere. There is not another light, I'm telling you, I'm not lying, within miles of this place. I'm talking like another single light bulb. There is no light pollution, there is nothing. So we got out there, we're having this little cookout out there. I'm just kind of a little bit scared like they could kill us all and leave us right here and we would never know because we're that far well it got nighttime and all of a sudden once all of our eyes adjusted to what was happening we had never been in a place where there was zero light pollution like none all of a sudden it got night and it looked up and all of the students that were just raising all kinds of havoc like wrestling around and doing whatever at one time, just their gaze went straight to the air and there was not a word for I'm talking five or six minutes Here's what happened. The Milky Way galaxy from the left side of the horizon to the right side of the horizon, the whole edge of it illuminated 
everything in our past. And I'm telling you, I didn't even know what to say. That's worship. That, Matt, you shouldn't worship the stars. That's not what I'm saying. You're not getting the point. What I'm saying is that was me realizing how small I am and how big something else is and the value that it has. You see, look, we don't have a worship problem. We have a lordship problem. We don't have a Jesus worship problem. We have a Jesus lordship problem. You see, worship is a built-in response. The question I gotta ask myself and we all do is what am I worshiping? You're worshiping something. But what are you worshiping? True disciples worship. But number three, keep moving. True disciples submit to the absolute authority of Jesus. True disciples, they submit to the authority of Jesus. Now let's just have a little family talk for just a minute. And let's just be honest, right? It's just us, right? We hate authority. <laughs> we really do. We might not say it out loud, but we don't like it. None of us like being told what to do. Well, yes, I do, Matt. No, you don't. None. And I'm not really sure when it happened, but it was sometime probably just after the first breath um, that we decided to despise it. Nobody taught your kids how to hate authority. <laughs> they just did it, amen? I mean, I don't know when it happened, I'm pretty sure it happened in Genesis chapter three. From that point on, in our hearts, we have always felt like we are the authority. Isn't, wasn't that the question in Genesis three? Who's the authority? It was either me or Jesus. Listen, I, I just wanna set us free from something. We, we feel like in our finite minds, for some reason, that I am in charge and my way is the right way. And that I determine what is true, what is moral, what is right. Listen to me, let me just free you up from a whole lot of responsibility. That's Jesus's job. If that rests on me, y'all are all in trouble on a bad day. Now, it may be a little bit funny, but you feel that, right? Jesus is the authority. A true disciple doesn't have to waste your energy trying to be the authority. We have a perfectly good one that died on the cross for us. Look at verse 28, look at verse 18. Watch what he says. Then Jesus came to them, you can write, and me, if you write in your Bible, it's fine, and said, all authority. You might want to circle that word. All authority. How much authority? All of it. What does Jesus have authority in? Everything. How long is Jesus' authority good for? For eternity. On that mountain and today and into eternity. It is always there. Watch this. Keep reading. All authority on heaven and on earth has been given to me. Man, can I just tell you, if we could get that one verse right there, it put people like me out of a job. All authority, all authority. That's what he said is so clear. In fact, let me be even more clear and say this. If we do not believe that Jesus has all the authority, then Jesus is not our Lord. He can't be. The word Lord expresses authority. Authority expresses Lord. You can't be a true disciple and not give Jesus the authority of your life. It doesn't work that way. You can't flip flop back and forth. That's what it's saying right here. Jesus is the authority. You know the question that's been rolling in my round, around in my brain all week? Because I asked myself lots of questions. It's this, how much authority do I really give Jesus? I mean, is it like 50%? I mean, maybe on a good day, is it like 80%? Jesus wants 100%. He wants 100%, but this is what he knows. I mean, he forgives us. He knows very few people give him 100%. You say, man, how do you know that? Why are you judging? I'm not judging. I'm just pointing it out 
that if we gave Jesus 100% of the authority of our life, it would literally change this planet. It would change how we love God. It would change how we worship God. It would change how we love other people. It would change how we provide for other people. It would change how we act in our families. It would change what kind of employee we are. It would change what our friends look like, how we serve our friends, how we serve our church. It would change, listen to this, it would change how we treat our resources. Some of us walk so much going, man, God is Lord of my life. God is Lord of my life. But yet we what, throw a hundred bucks a month into the offering plate and say, he's my Lord? It doesn't work like that. See, we don't have a worship problem. We have a lordship and a submission problem. You see, the authority test is really a lordship test of who Jesus is. So the question is, what steps do I need to take this week under the grace of God, okay? to make him that authority in me. But, but I can promise you this, it's worth it. It's worth it. You say, man, that's harsh. No, 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 listen to me. It's worth it. Do you know why? Because the rest of the stuff we're chasing after is not going to be present in eternity. But the one who gives us eternity just says, just submit to me. Just submit to me and I will take you Let's keep going, number four, not only is it authority, number four, he says this, it gets real specific. He says, true disciples, hope you're working yourself through the grid, right? True disciples make disciples. True disciples make disciples. Now, what does that mean? It means that they take every opportunity to speak the love of Christ into someone else's life. Now go with me through the text. The order matters. The Holy Spirit does things on purpose. Listen to what happens when you hear the word, when you obey the word, when you worship God, when you experience Jesus, and when you realize that he is the authority, the only appropriate response we have in our life is to want other people to see what we have. That's what Jesus is saying. That's the grid he's working us through. We will then have a desire. In fact, look at verse 19. We gotta hurry. Here it is. Watch what Jesus says. Therefore, all right, that's your connecting word. There's not, this is not a new paragraph. This is not a new thought. This is not separate. This doesn't apply for only people who are gifted with a personal evangelism. No, this is everybody, all right? All true disciples. Therefore, watch this, go and make disciples. This ain't just for people like me. Of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. Now look, there's, a, there's like a whole series there, but I just wanna focus on one phrase because it's the key phrase, and it's the phrase, go and make disciples. Go and make disciples. This is not a morning on all of the nuances of how to do that and all the different personal evangelism. We can do that at a different time. I just want you to see that true disciples make disciples. It is the it is the continuation of what God has done in your life and in my life. Now, I want you to look at one word and it's the word go. Spent significant time studying it this week. Studying it in Greek, Hebrew, Aramaic, Latin and English this week. And here's what it means. Go. <laughs> you like that, don't you? You like that. Listen, there is no secret meaning. <laughs> There's no nuance. There's no weirdness in any language. It just means when you know who God is to you, you will go. You will step out. You will leave. It's not a complicated word. But listen, it's not a comfortable word either. Jesus never promises us that it's gonna be comfortable, but he promises us that we do it in his authority. You see, here's what I know. I think this is the biggest struggle of this faith family. 
It's the biggest struggle making disciples. We love worship. We love our meeting. We love our groups. We love to support things and support missions and support all this. We love it. But do we love making disciples personally? Are we purposefully going? Are we praying, God, put people in my life, put, put my heart into other people. Give me the words to say, God, give me the boldness to say it. And I know this place is like, mm -mm, don't go there, Matt. Stay with the authority stuff. Stay with the submitting stuff. Are we making disciples? That's what a true disciple does. He completes the disciple making process. Disciples make disciples. Matt, I'm just not sure I can do that. I can feel that. I feel it. That. That, that's, that's valid to which I would say this, Jesus knows that. And that's why he finishes the text up where he does. Keep going, watch this. Because true disciples trust that Jesus is always with them. They trust. That's the only way you can do it, is to trust that he is with you. Look at the final encouragement of Jesus. He's such a master teacher. One of my favorite phrases in all the Bible. Look at the second half of verse 20, it says this. Jesus says, and surely I'm with you to the very end of the age. Believers, disciples, listen to me. Jesus is with you. Matt, he doesn't walk with me. No, no, he says the one that is better walks with you and is in you. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. He's never gonna be more with you. The moment you trust Christ, you get it all. 100%. Now our job is just to walk it. Let me ask you this, have you, ever, have you ever been on a mission trip or have you ever just decided to go for it and, and speak the gospel into someone's life? And something, it, it almost seemed like everything around you became a little bit more still, everything around you just became a little bit blurry in that focus moment and that wow moment of, oh my goodness, where did that even come from? You ever been in that moment before? I know a lot of you have, I've been with you when it happened. That's what he's saying. That's what he means is I am with you. The challenge is don't make that the exception, make that the norm. Make it the norm. And let me say this as we close. We're not called just to know stuff or to hold stuff dear. We're called to live in such a way that our transformed life desires to see other lives transformed radically. And it's not our power. And it's not on us for the results. We just want other people to have what we have. That's what true disciples do. True disciples are disciple making disciples. You see, as our affection for the Lord grows, our desire to make disciples grow and for us just to ride the coattails of the King of Kings. So here's the last question. Where are you in the process? Man, there's a lot of homework here. There's a lot of grid to walk through this week to go, God, where am I in my discipling process? Matt, I know the books. That ain't what I'm saying. I don't care how many preset Bible studies you've taken. Where am I in the process that Jesus just laid out right here in Matthew 28? Am I a disciple making disciples? Some of you this morning, your next step is that you need to give your heart to Jesus. You need 
to step into his love and into his grace and into his mercy because you've been walking as the 12th man on the team for a long time. Is he calling you today? Do you need to give your life to Jesus to forgive you of your sins and come into your life? Man, you can take advantage of that in just a minute. Maybe some of you today need to take the next step in your discipling. Maybe it's time to jump into a life group, to make things serious, to begin to be discipled, whether it's in a life group or in a Wednesday night course or in one of our mentor programs. Where do you need to step? Some of you, you need to seriously begin to pray, God, make me a disciple-making disciple. Put people in my path. Lord, during this next moment of decision, I pray that whether it is in person, a person may step out from their seat and walk down one of the aisles and the venues and just say the words, I need Jesus today. Or whether it's online, they just reach out with the next steps for them and just say, hey, I'm, I wanna give my life to Christ. That God, I pray that there is salvation that happens in this place. That people give their life to you, they submit their hearts to you, they feel and know the fullness of your glory and your grace. But God, I also pray that there's some next steps taken from some people that have just been sitting on the sidelines that today they would commit to become disciple-making disciples. God, we are disciple-making disciples. Lord Jesus, give us just a sweet couple of moments of decision for you and worship for you and commitment in your name. Thank you, Jesus. Let's stand and sing. Thanks for listening to this week's sermon. Were you inspired? Maybe you've got questions. Do you want to know more about Jesus? Then we'd love to hear from and connect with you. So take the next step with us by visiting burnthickory.com next. Again, thanks for listening. And hey, stay tuned by subscribing and stay up to date by downloading the Burnt Hickory app.